Amen. I still don't have all my voice back. <laughs> Not completely. It's getting better, though. I can tell it's getting better. Just very slow. All right, well, let's turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. <coughs> We're going to look at the person of Revelation tonight. There are some notes on the back. I started printing notes for Wednesday nights while we do this uh, series. Uh, just because there's so much involved in Revelation that it might help. And so uh, there are some notes back there if you would like to get one. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 is what we're going to look at tonight. And uh, the Bible says in verse number 1, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Well, uh, Schofield in his study Bible uh, does a great job of spelling out an overview of the book of Revelation there in the introductory notes of his, of his uh, study Bible. Uh, but in the last line of his introductory statements on the book, he says this, Interpreters of the Revelation should bear in mind two important passages, 1 Peter 1.12, 2 Peter 1.20, and 2 Peter 1.21. We're going to look at two of those real quick. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says, Unto whom it was revealed that no, uh, not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look upon. Uh, and this revelation was written for all to hear, uh, not just to be kept for a select few, he's saying. Uh, 2 Peter 1.20 says, Knowing this, first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. There is no private interpretation, uh, so be wary of people who say, God has revealed the secret interpretation to me, um, or I found something new, I've discovered something new. Uh, that's a dangerous statement there. We are going to look at all three. The third one is Second Peter chapter 121. It says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake, <coughs> excuse me, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It wasn't man that revealed this to us. It was God. As he moved men to write the Holy Spirit. Schofield continues, and this is a great statement that he writes at the end. Doubtless much... Uh, which is designedly obscure to us will be clear to those for whom it was written as the time approaches. Uh, in other words, we may not be able to see all the answers right now, but as time progresses, the things begin to come about. Those who are living at that time will clearly see what it's talking about. And many things that uh, for centuries were looked at as, uh, as not being able to explain what it was talking about. But some things have been fulfilled. Uh, for instance, Israel uh, going into the promised land again and uh, creating a, a country there once again, a state. And uh, so uh, people didn't uh, understand some of the prophecies until they got closer to the time for their fulfillment. And then they began to see it. The theme of the book of Revelation is undoubtedly that of the person of Jesus Christ. But the culmination of the book is the entrance of the kingdom of Christ, which begins, at the, uh, begins the great judgment on earth and is culminated in the reign of Christ and his second coming. Uh, the Bible is full of illuminating references to this. 
Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6 says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Uh, others may mock Christians and their view of history and the present and the future, uh, but the word of God is clear. And we have to present God's word as it is written in the literal context. Uh, just like the rest of the Bible, we should interpret the book of Revelation literally. Uh, that is uh, the, the, the plain and normal sense. Uh, this does not mean that we do not recognize uh, figurative language. Uh, one website that I was reading while studying for this said, uh, this means that we start out by taking the words in their most normal meaning. If I say my house is red, you'll understand what I mean. Uh, there would be no question about it. However, if I say listen to this parable about the homeowner, or use comparative words like the word like uh, or as, uh, and as in like a roaring lion, uh, you would understand that my words are, might not be take, uh, meant to be taken literally, but possibly figuratively. And the very specific numbers used in the book of Revelation point us to taking this interpretation stance as well. Uh, the numbers used are very specific. Uh, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes will receive the Holy Spirit poured on them. Uh, 144,000. A specific amount of time in heaven. There is silence in heaven when the Lamb breaks the seventh seal. 30 minutes. Which I've heard is proof that there's no females in heaven. But that's beside the point. That, somebody else said that. I didn't say that. But um, the scorpions of the earth are given the ability to torment people uh, who rebel against God for five months. A very specific time frame. A uh, specific number is given to the army of, after the sixth trumpet. 200 million. Uh, two witnesses are allowed to prophesy for a specific number of days. 1,260 days. Uh, if we're, uh, so if we're to take this book allegorically, why would we be given specific numbers? It just doesn't make sense. And there are images found in the book of, of Revelation for sure. But they are explained by the writer in much detail. Uh, the lamb having seven horns and seven eyes in Revelation 5 is Christ, because it's explained that it is a lamb appearing as if slain. And we're seen by that description that it's talking about Christ. Uh, the four horsemen are described in great detail. Uh, the red dragon, uh, we are told, is Satan specifically. And what would be the need of, for allegory if these images are already explained by the author? And so as we journey through this book, let's strive to take the literal grammatical method of interpretation. And we'll find also that to do otherwise is bordering on a very dangerous precipice. Uh, there is a curse that comes specifically to anyone who changes this book. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto him the... Uh, if it, let's try that again. If any man sh uh, shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. How many want to sign up for that? No. Okay. Uh, by the way, another reason why the church isn't going to be going through this uh, tribulation. 
okay? Uh, we're going to be gone, uh, because why would he threaten to add the plagues if we're already gone? Uh, 19 says, And if any man shall take away from the words of, of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. So we, we must be careful uh, to interpret the word of God and say what the word of God says, and take it literally. Uh, so let's look at the person of Revelation tonight in verses 1 through 3. In doing so, we first must look at, uh, number one, the process of the revelation. Uh, the word revelation means unveiling. We talked about that last, uh, last time we talked about revelation. Not last week, but uh, how was this unveiling come? Uh, first, we see that it was a given by God. This Revealing was given by God. The Bible says in verse 1, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Uh, we're specifically told that we have been given this revelation of Jesus by God the Father. Uh, more specifically, the Father gave it unto God the Son, who showed it unto us. And the fact that God the Father has revealed this truth does not take anything away from the deity of Christ uh, his equal, uh, or his equality and attributes to the Father. The Son has yielded to the Father and has limited his own omniscience purposefully out of submission to the Father. Uh, Luke chapter 22, 42, talks about how he has limited himself as well. Say, he's a saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He's all-powerful. He could have removed his own cup. Uh, but he has limited himself and veiled himself in flesh, and he has submitted himself to the Father. Not my will, but thine be done. John 5.30 says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. And that hasn't changed uh, since the time that he has gone back to heaven. Uh, Jesus is perfect in both deity and humanity. Philippians 2, 6, and 7 says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and, made, made, and was made in the likeness of men. Uh, so, in his submission to this father, the father reveals to his son the truths for his servants. And secondly, we see that this revelation was a letter B signified by his angel. This is the process of revelation. Given by God, signified by the angel. And the Bible says in verse number one, and he sent and signified it by his angel. And the word signified is translated from the Greek word sameo. Uh, I'm not pronouncing that right, but that's okay. Uh, it's, uh, this word means to give a sign or to, be make, to make known. Uh, so we see that it uh, was revealed by the Father to Jesus. Then the angel was charged with showing the sign or making it known to us by the way of letter C being revealed by John. Uh, and so that's the process he goes. And verse number one ends with, unto his servant John. The first part of verse number two says, who bear record of the word of God. And John was the scribe who bore record, wrote it down for us. Boy, what a process, amen? Given by God to Jesus, signified by the angel, and uh, revealed by John. Uh, why did God choose to do it this way? I don't know. 
but that is how God chose to do it. That's how the Father wanted it to happen. And so it happened. Uh, but one thing is for certain, and that is what is being co- uh, proclaimed uh, as the first two verses are, uh, verse, two, uh, verse 2 says, uh, it says, who bear record for the, uh, uh, of the word of God. Uh, this, what is being revealed, is the word of God. It is the very words of God. And this phrase is used 42 times in the New Testament and always refers to the word given by God. These are the very words revealed by God. And so this is the process of revelation. Now let's look at number two, the person of the revelation. Uh, Verse number two says, Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that that he saw. Excuse me. Uh, The scribe writes what is spoken to him through the angel by Jesus Christ. And so we see, first of all, revealed the person of Christ, letter A. Uh, The person of Christ is revealed. Uh, We have seen uh, that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ from verse number 1. We talked about that uh, the last time we met. It is revealed who Christ is as he's seated upon the right hand of God upon his throne. In a little while, we'll see a description of Christ as John saw him. And boy, what a picture of holiness and power that is. Amen? And But we'll get there eventually. We'll look at that later. Uh, but let us never lose sight of the fact that this revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't ever lose that. It's not the revelation of the future. It's not the revelation of, uh, of, the, uh, of the punishment. It's not the revelation of the tribulation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ and his will and what's going to happen. Second, it's a revelation not only of the person of Christ, but it's a revelation of the testimony of Christ. Uh, It is the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of himself. It's revealing of the truth of him, the gospel. Or John Gill, uh, a a commentator, said it this way. uh, It is the revelation of the gospel. He says, which testifies of the person of Christ, of the truth of his divinity, and reality of his human nature, of the union of uh, of the union of the two natures, divine and human, his person, of his several offices of uh, prophet, priest, and king, of what he did and suffered for his people, and of the blessing of grace which they received by him. And this phrase appears three other times in Revelation, in Revelation one nine, in Revelation twelve seventeen, and then twice in one verse in Revelation 19.10. And so this phrase, the testimony of Christ, is an important phrase in Revelation. Uh, The word testimony is translated from the word that uh, we get the word martyr from. Uh, The martyr is a testimony for the person or thing that they die for. And that is the point of being a martyr. It's not just dying. It's the, the point of it is a testimony about what they're standing for. And uh, same as the word uh, for bear record that was seen earlier in the previous verse. Uh, it's the same, uh, from the same word uh, that, uh, mean, that comes from the word martyr. And they both mean to give witness to something or someone. And John is not only testifying of what Jesus tells him, but also of the things that he saw. And John was the last surviving apostle of Jesus. His personal character and reputation were unimpeachable. Uh, you know, I never really saw it this way until I, I, read, a, uh, I read an article this week um, about, about these verses and about John and his testimony. But uh, he says, John 19, 35, 
And he's, he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true that ye might believe. He's talking about himself. He's talking about John. And that it, what he says is the truth. Then third John 12, it says, Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. Uh, interesting words there. John had a reputation for being trustworthy in his word. Uh, John was given <coughs> this sign through an angel, and John was actually able to write what he saw. Boy, what a privilege to not only be transported through time to hear the testimony of the Lord, but to actually be able to see it in person, the things that happen. And as we go throughout Revelation, you'll be able to see how that John is an actual observer of these events, events that are still in the future for us. And yet, uh, John says that he saw those things. As, it, uh, as this witness, it is interesting that the, uh, this word being used comes from the word martyr, since John is the only apostle to not be martyred. Uh, so it's interesting that the word being used here comes from the word martyr. Uh, maybe that kind of encompasses all of them being martyred. I don't know. Uh, but there's some disagreement whether or not that's true, whether or not he was martyred or not. But uh, most believe that he wasn't. Uh, nothing theological there, just I thought it was an interesting uh, word usage or play on words, if you will. Uh, so we have seen the process of the revelation, and we've looked at the person of the revelation. Now let's look at the promise of the revelation. The promise of the revelation. The promise of revelation is twofold. Uh, number Letter A, rather, uh, the promise of imminence. This is found in verse number 1. Uh, the promise of imminence. Verse number one told us that that it was shown uh, that he was shown the things which must shortly come to pass. And people for centuries have expected the return of Christ, uh, but there is one major difference today that the centuries before us didn't have, and that's the fact that 75 years ago the Jewish state was established as a fulfillment of prophecies that we see in Scripture that we now can clearly understand what it was talking about. And Jewish people, for the first time since the beginning of the church age, have been going back to their homeland. And for centuries, people have looked at their current situation and have tried to explain away the prophecies that foretold this happening. Uh, we have to remember what Peter said in 2 Peter 3.8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord, uh, is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Uh, it may seem like a long time for us, for him to say shortly these things will come to pass. But for God, it is shortly. Amen? Uh, it's just a couple of days. Uh, and Psalm says this very similarly. And I don't think it's literally two days for, for God. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the fact that time is irrelevant to God and for God. Uh, a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. It doesn't matter. Time doesn't matter. Uh, Psalm says something very similar in, in Psalm 90, verse 4. It says, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. And God created time, and when he created the sun and the earth. Uh, but God is not held by time. As is even seen in John's own experience here, as he has been transported through time to witness these events. And the coming of the Lord is imminent, he says, and that's a promise. Are you ready to face the Lord? And tomorrow's not promised. Are you ready for his coming? 
And not only is the promise of the revelation a promise of imminence, but secondly, we see that verse 3 tells us it is the promise of blessing. The promise of blessing. Verse 3 it says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Here we see a promise given to those who read, who hear, who keep these words. This is, by the way, the first of the seven Beatitudes of Revelation. Uh, this word translated blessed is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew chapter 5 verses 3 through 11 give us the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall attain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. And this, uh, this, the, each of those verses contain that word blessed. It's the same word that we get this word that's translated blessed here. Uh, this verse contains the first of the seven Beatitudes given to us from Revelation. We'll look at those as we go through Revelation, though. Uh, the blessing is given to those who read, who hear, and who keep the words of this book. I know it's sometimes hard to comprehend all that is in this book. Uh, but as Andrew Fuller once said, uh, it is that to the New Testament church which the pillar of the cloud was to the church in the wilderness guiding it through the labyrinth of anti-Christian errors and corruptions. It must not be neglected under a notion of it being hard to be understood. As well might the mariner amid the rocks neglect his friendly chart under an idea that it's being difficult to understand it. Uh, it's not a good reason to not save, to save the boat. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we need to uh, pay attention to the chart that God has given us, the Word of God. And Charles Spurgeon said, to induce us to give the most serious attention to the subject, the subject of this book, a blessing is pronounced on those who read and hear and keep the words of this prophecy, especially as the time of its fulfillment was at hand. There does not appear to be any other part of Scripture that is prefaced with such an inducement to read and understand and practically regard it. No other Scripture in the Bible comes with this kind of blessing that God is giving to those who look at Revelation. And yet so many Christians shy away from it. Why? Because the devil tries to thwart our thoughts and say it's too hard to understand. Just don't, don't even try. And distracts us and things like that. I believe that with all my heart. And so God promises a blessing to those who read it and those who hear it and those who keep it. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul is speaking to the church at Thessalonica regarding the coming of Christ. And he tells them that famous and well-used verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. What does a thief in the night have anything to do with? Uh, it has to do with the fact you don't know when they're coming. <laughs> if you knew when they were coming, you'd be prepared, wouldn't you? Uh, but as a thief in the night, you have no idea when it's coming. Uh, verse, uh, in verses 4 and 5, he reminds them uh, and, and us uh, as Christians that we should not be taken by surprise as Christians. Verse 4, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. 
Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, not of darkness, nor of darkness. And then Paul warns us to not sleep as those who are in darkness. But, in verse 8 he says, But let us who are of the day be sober, be serious, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. And then he says in verse number 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons, this verse here is one of the reasons why I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Uh, I know there's a lot out there that, that uh, say that it's not true, uh, but I, I firmly believe that, it, uh, that we have a pre-tribulational rapture. Could I be wrong? Yes, I could. Uh, but uh, I, I, this is what I believe just from reading scripture. Um, I've heard people say that uh, no one believed in a pre-tribulational rapture prior to 1800s, the early 1800s, but that's not true. Uh, some of the early fathers in the first centuries, uh, it's very clear they believed in a pre-tribulational rapture. Uh, but nobody wants to take the time to look at it. Uh, they just uh, believe what is said and say, oh, well, pre-tribulation must not be true. And they just go on with their day. But if you go and read, actually read the early church fathers, you'll, you'll see that they believed that. At least, again, there was a disagreement back then as well. So it's no, this disagreement is nothing new, okay? There's nothing new under the sun. And so there were those that believed it was uh, post-tribulational, so those that believed it was amillennial, uh, and uh, those that believed it was uh, pre-millennial as well. Uh, but if we are on the earth during the tribulation, why is the church not mentioned during the chapters that describe the major world event that we're supposed to be going through? Why doesn't it say anything about Christians? And all through chapters 4 through 20, uh, the church is never mentioned in those chapters. Uh, the word rapture comes from the Latin uh, translation of 1 Thessalonians 4.17. That's another argument I've heard uh, again and again. Well, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. You're right, it's not. And there's other words that we use all the time that, like Trinity, it's not in the Bible. It doesn't change the fact that the representation is there. But 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I've heard people say, well, it says we'll ever be with the Lord. It can't be talking about pre-tribulational rapture because we back to, come back to earth. But he comes with us. <laughs> okay? He will ever be with the Lord wherever he is. Okay? Uh, and the word translated caught up in the English is translated into Latin as rapiamur. Uh, and the translation of this word into English is the word rapture. And so the church uses uh, the word rapture to describe the event when the Christians will be caught up in the air with Christ. And I believe that the timeline of Revelation appears something like this. It will come on the screen. First of all, before the, this timeline, chapter 1 is, just the, is the introduction of Revelation. Uh, and on the timeline, we see Christ's first coming and his death on the cross, which ushered in the church age. And then we see uh, the church age here in chapters 2 and 3, uh, is the letters of, to the seven churches. And both these chapters cover the church age, which began with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. I do believe that these are literal churches uh, at the time of the writing, uh, but they represent the churches of uh, different times throughout history. Uh, then we see the rapture takes place at a time determined and known only by the Father. And you'll notice that uh, the first coming was whenever he came, was born, and died on the cross. And then the rapture, the, it's represented there by a, a, a U-turn. <laughs> uh, 
because uh, the Bible says that he uh, will meet him in the air. He doesn't actually come to the earth. Uh, so he goes to the heavens and calls us to him. And so he does not actually come the second time at that point. And, uh, but this will usher in a seven-year tribulation period uh, that is split in, in, into half, a three-and-a-half-year period of peace followed by a three-and-a-half-year year period of turmoil and destruction. And these are described in chapters 6 through 19. The majority of the book of Revelation deals with this time period. And then uh, Christ will come back to earth and usher in the thousand-year reign of Christ. Uh, the second coming, he actually comes to earth, conquers, and rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years. This is found in chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. And then in chapter 20, verses 7 through 14, we see the great white throne judgment of Christ. Uh, and then in chapters 21 and 22, we see the new heaven and the new earth. It's going to take us a while to go verse by verse through this book. And look at these things, but there's an overall picture of what I believe Revelation is talking about. We'll just leave that up there for a while. And it's going to take us a, a while to do that. Uh, but be patient. Uh, be faithful. Uh, remember, there is a blessing to those who read, who hear, and who keep these words. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want that blessing. Amen?